I don't know how many of you have ever heard of the Madonna cross. Now, I'm not talking about a cross that has anything to do with the mother of our Lord. I'm talking about the pop star. If you would go on her website, there is a cross that's dubbed the Madonna cross. And at the height of her popularity, the designer of that cross was interviewed on ABC World News. The interviewer asked about this cross that was designed, and the designer said this, Madonna has brought a new dimension to the cross. Never has wearing the cross been more popular than today. The interviewer persisted, well, isn't it a Christian symbol? And she said, not anymore. It's a fashion statement today. No one wears the cross for religious reasons anymore. The interviewer pressed a little more. Don't pastors and priests wear it, he said? Isn't it still a religious symbol? And the designer replied, no, it is simply the trend of the day. Those are stunning words to hear in our world and in our society. Far from what we know the cross truly means. I invite you to take out your connection or to open your Bible in front of you to Mark chapter 8 as we look at those words that Jesus says today as he teaches his disciples. While you're looking at that, we'll begin some of that background that's very familiar to us as they walk. Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say I am? What is the interpretation out there? And they begin to tell him. Some say that you are John the Baptist who has come back to life or Elijah, that great prophet who was supposed to come before the day of the Messiah or just one of the prophets and you're another among a long line. And then he asks them pointedly, well, who do you say I am? And Peter responds, you are that Messiah, the Messiah that we have looked for. You know, we've talked about this before. This is exciting stuff to them. They are this group that is with the Messiah. They're thinking about an earthly king. They're thinking about what they believed, what they've been taught Messiah is supposed to be, a conquering king, much like King David, someone who will kick out the oppressive Romans who are over them, someone who will give them and restore the kingdom of Israel to its glory like it was under David. They're excited because they are with him. And then Jesus gives those startling words to them that begin in verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Now, there's a word in those sentences that caused Peter's reaction, but it wasn't the fact of the Messiah would suffer and would die. Because as they thought of Jesus as their noble general, as they thought of him as the one who would lead their band into Jerusalem to fight and to conquer the Romans, the ideas of a noble death, of a general at the head of an army leading who might die, who might be killed, who might suffer, those were noble ideas. They could live with that. They understood that in battle there were casualties. That's not the word that caused Peter's reaction. It was the word rejected. You see, the word rejected takes away dignity. It makes suffering dishonorable and awful. 
It's not the word that you would associate with a king or with the Messiah because there's no honor in it. That word was too much for Peter to take. And so he rebuked Jesus for it. And Jesus had to react with those words, Get behind me, Satan, he said. Maybe you remember last week as we talked about Satan and his temptations in the wilderness, what it was he was trying to get at with Jesus to avoid the cross here again using Peter. He wants him to avoid this mission of suffering and rejection that he's going to Jerusalem, avoid it at all costs. And so Jesus then has to rebuke Peter to say, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Get back in line, Peter. Get behind me. Get where you belong. Follow me. Those were hard words for Peter. Follow Peter. They're hard words for us too. Follow. Because we know that our human concerns have to do with us wanting to lead so many times. Wanting us to tell God what needs to happen in our lives. What he should do. What we think. To live our lives as we would like to. And then God you come alongside and simply bless my endeavors. But to follow. To follow is different. That's why Jesus goes on in the next few verses to talk about what following means. He says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Harder words than just words to follow. Words that tell us to deny ourselves. You know, maybe you've heard that phrase before used by people. I have. That phrase that said, oh, well, this is just my cross to bear. Some people use it in terms of they can't get their nails to grow right. Well, this is just my cross to bear, isn't it? Or some people use it when their children won't behave. Just my cross to bear. Or when their children go astray. It's just my cross to bear, Some use it when their spouse won't stop snoring at night and they spend sleepless nights. It's just my cross to bear. I read a story about a woman who had a new BMW that had a dash rattle that she took back again and again to the mechanic to get fixed and they were unable to fix it. And she said, well, I guess it's just my cross to bear. I can tell you that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not saying that it's just simply an inconvenience in our lives. When he says deny ourselves, what that truly means is that we need to die to ourselves. To cease to be us. To lose the identities that we have created for ourselves. It means no more defending ourselves or justifying ourselves or excusing ourselves. But to lose us. And to see only Christ, to see what he endured, and not to think what we are going through ever has compared to what he endured for us. C.S. Lewis puts it this way on the quote on the screen. He says this, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, 
but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the truth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self instead. In fact, I will give you myself, my own. Will shall become yours. Take up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself. Staggering words. Notice, though, that Jesus does say that. They should take up their cross. That's important for us to understand because they are specific to us and our relationship to him. My cross is not your cross. And maybe you wonder, well, what then is my cross? It's not something as a Christian we go headlong into fine suffering in order to determine it, but it is revealed in us through suffering and loss that comes upon us. It is revealed to us in dying to ourself. For the disciples, their cross was that Jesus called them to give up everything they had and to follow him. For someone like Luther, it was the call to leave the safety of a monastery where he was alone and to go out into a world and to face the world powers of that day and to hold and profess the faith. For the rich young ruler that Jesus came upon who asked him, Rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus called him to deny himself and to give up everything he had to the poor. You know, we have many calls in our lives. Sin calls us daily to follow it, and Satan calls us daily to be tempted. But Jesus calls us to him, to hardship, to dying to self, and not to succumb to the calls of the world. The world that tells us to be self-aware or self-assertive or self-fulfilled about all that we do and Jesus instead calls us to self-denial. Not just for some of us, but for all who would follow him. The early church was a true example of this. It said at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., When the call went out through the known world for all those in whom the gospel had spread to those different quarters, 318 delegates came to that council. They said of the 318, only 12 of those had not lost an eye, had not lost a hand, had not been lamed or crippled because of being tortured for the faith. They followed gladly the gospel that had come into the world for the sake of Jesus Christ. The late Billy Graham that we honor this week said this on this passage. When Jesus said, if you are going to follow me, you have to take up a cross, it was the same as saying, come and bring your electric chair with you. Take up the gas chamber and follow me. He did not have a beautiful gold cross in mind, the cross on a church steeple or in the front of your Bible. Jesus had in mind a place of execution. 
Maybe we need to look at it that way when we hear those words. Take up the cross and follow me. You know, a man who was on death row walking to that final moment in his life to execution, many realized finally that all the accomplishments of life, all the stuff of earth that we have created, all the personas that we masquerade in are worthless. They've amounted to nothing. They have no meaning. They're about to be lost. We need to see the call of Jesus as a call to die to ourselves, to commit suicide, but not in our bodies, but in our souls. That all that we want and all we think we have accomplished, the banquet of ourself that we have feasted on must die, but in Christ, as we die, he takes over. He fills us once again with himself, Unlike his suffering and death, where he cried out in agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me and died utterly alone? Jesus, in our death, comes alongside of us. Comes alongside of us as we follow. Comes alongside of us as we take up our cross so that we might have his strength in our lives. You know, I think it's important, too, as we look at that phrase that we see what the word truly means. In the original Greek, it is a conditional sentence. It is the word, if anyone would follow me. It is a choice that Jesus gives us. I know that makes many of us in our particular denomination bristle to hear that word choice, but we're not talking about conversion. We're talking about our life in Christ And Jesus doesn't leave us alone just simply on our own human terms when he says that. He gives us daily a choice, a choice through prayer, a choice through his word, a choice through his spirit, a choice through our baptism that draws us to follow him versus a choice to rise up in our false worldly selves and live our lives simply for us. Jesus draws us to that choice by his power. Now, if I'm going to be honest, I have not learned to master this in my life, to take up my cross and to follow. I fall again and again into the world of self. And I think that's true for all of us here. So what are we to do as followers of Jesus Christ? Well, John says in his epistles, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say that verse over again and again. And in Jesus Christ, his grace comes upon us and we can start again the forgiveness that comes only through what he won for us on his cross. We are able by his grace to take up that cross, to be drawn to it through his word, through his spirit, through prayer, through remembering our baptism, to die to self daily and to rise up again in Jesus our Savior. I want to close with one last quote that comes from Harold Sinkbile, who is a professor of theology at Fort Wayne, and he wrote a book called Dying to Live. He says the following words, 
You can either die alone in this world, or you can die in Jesus. You can have life your way, or you can have it his way. Your way leads through this life to death. His way leads through death into life. May we ever follow that death through taking up the call that Jesus offers us. To die to ourself. To take up the cross. To follow where he leads gladly. To put away earthly things. And to follow our king who leads us with a crown of thorns and wounds that prove his grace, his love, and his forgiveness for each one of us. Amen.